0: Shalom everyone I'm Monty Judah with Lionel of Land Ministries welcome to our new program for you on Sabbath mornings we're in the month of March right now and Passover and the spring feasts are coming in April so I thought I would use this time with you in anticipating the spring feast and bring a program talking about for the next several weeks preparing us for the spring feast obviously I'm going to be talking about Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits. Most of the Messianic believers that we see today have probably one of the things that got our attention and got us to start looking at the Hebrew understanding of the scriptures and drawing us into the teaching of Moses was the observance of Passover. You may have been invited to a Passover presentation where they kind of explained what it was about. You may have been invited to a Passover table where you actually ate the Seder dinner. You heard about some about what Passover is about, but it's, it's for many messianics, this is the starting point of going into learning more about what Moses has taught us about our faith, and it, it's fitting and appropriate to, to be that. Number one, it's Passover that was the beginning of the exodus out of Egypt, that was when The spiritual instruction began to take shape for the children of Israel, and God had redeemed the people out of Israel. The word redemption and redeem means to buy out of slavery. So it's most fitting that the Redeemer, our Messiah, and Passover and the story of the Exodus from Egypt, they all come together. They're all related, and there's much to be learned from them about our faith. So I'm going to spend some time specifically talking about Passover. We're going to talk about the past, what actually happened in Egypt. We're going to talk about how Passover was observed by the Messiah himself uh, with the disciples. We're going to talk about how Passover is observed today. And I'm going to go through some of those differences, explain some of the things. There's a little bit of a controversy about Passover that existed in Yeshua's day and still exists today and it primarily has to do with when exactly do you observe the Passover. Now, one of the things I'm going to show you in this teaching is that Passover was commanded to us to be on the 14th of Nisan. That's the first month of springtime of the head of months. And yet Judaism today, and even in the days of Yeshua, we're observing Passover on the 15th of Nisan, not on the 14th. And understanding that controversy, and it's a controversy between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Understand that controversy will explain to you how Yeshua ate the Passover according to the commandments of Moses with his disciples, and yet the Jews that arrested him and condemned him, they were eating the Passover the next night and how they used that as the justification to come arrest him and condemn him before the Passover came. And it'll explain a lot more about the New Testament record that we have when they describe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they describe Passover, they describe what the Messiah and his disciples did. So that's part of the benefit of what we're doing here. But primarily, I want to edify you and encourage you with this program to get ready to keep the Passover this year. The Passover is the start of the biblical feasts and holidays for us for the whole annual cycle, and it is incredible as to what it teaches us about our faith in the Messiah. I've shared this uh, testimony before that I was a good Christian going to church. In fact, I was a good Baptist, and I thought Quite honestly, I was pretty checked out, you know, on obeying the Lord and, and following the Lord, and then I got to participate in my first Passover, and I suddenly discovered that this so-called Jewish feast was the most Christian thing I had ever done in my life, and one of the first things that I want to clear up is that when we talk about the spring feasts, and including the other feasts as well, these are not... Jewish feasts. I, I realize that a lot of people say that. A lot of people, a lot of Christians refer to them as Jewish feasts. And in fact, some of the Christians are fearful that if you do keep those feasts, you'll turn into, you'll become a Jewish person. And that doesn't happen. That they are Hebrew feasts. These feasts were given by God to the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew people are those who descend. By way of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it isn't just the native born. Though there are many that are the sons of Abraham that are there by promise, they're there by by faith in the God of Israel. And and Yeshua came to any in the world that want to believe in the God of Israel that He was the Redeemer for all of this. And no matter what ethnic background or race or or nationality that you might have and that once we come into the assembly, we're part of the commonwealth of Israel, and these are Hebrew feasts that we keep. Abraham was the first Hebrew. He was not the first Jew. And so they're Hebraic feasts for it, and we're going to emphasize that. Now, from a way that we observe it, as you know, the Christians don't in the, in the world don't keep the Passover. They don't keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They have taken a small snippet, of a piece of the Passover. In fact, they take a little cracker, which is like a crumb that comes from unleavened bread, matzah, and they put it with a little tiny cup of grape juice instead of a big cup, which is called the cup of redemption, and part of one of the cups of the Passover to be observed. And they call that communion. And the idea is that you commune with the Lord with these elements and you refer to the bread as being the body of the Christ, and you refer to the cup as being the blood of the Christ, and they kind of go through the same motions that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians about this is how he inaugurated the New Testament. That is fine. I'm not taking issue with that at all, all. With the exception of the following things, God has invited us to the feast table, a little piece of a crumb, and a little cup, does that look like a feast to you? It doesn't look like a feast to me. The commandment is to eat the feast, you know, the, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So one of the things I hope to do here, if you're a Christian and you're watching this, I want to provoke you to jealousy a little bit. You've been invited to the whole table of the Lord. You, you don't have to hang around underneath the table and get whatever crumbs fall off the table and whatever gets spilled off the table, and you call that your feast. Come up to the table that the Lord has made a place for you to come and be part of the the Passover. Now, I'm going to take you to the Scripture. I want to repeat to you and tell you, how did all of this get started? How did this Passover get started and then the other holidays that follow after it? And it's part of the great story of when God poured out the judgments upon Egypt. And the 10th judgment was actually called the death of the firstborn, and this is when the Passover was inaugurated for all of us. Turn with me now to Exodus chapter 12 and beginning at verse 1. Let me go ahead and begin there. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. We're talking about the month we call Nisan. Sometimes in the Bible called the month of Aviv. Aviv actually means spring. So it's the first month in the spring. Let me tell you generally on the Hebrew calendar when it comes. Sometime right after the spring equinox, which is March 21, that's on the solar cycle. The first month that begins after that, generally is the month of Nisan. It's it's the first month in the springtime. And so he says, beginning with that month, he said, verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of the month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, Then he and his neighbor nearest to him are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire both its head and its legs along with its entrails and you shall not leave any of it over until morning. But whatever is left of it until the morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day, verse 14, Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Now, there's two things that we need to recognize immediately. There is this historical event that took place in Egypt with Moses and Aaron and the rest of the children of Israel, and they were given explicit directions on how they were to prepare and to eat the Passover. Let me remind you of what they are. First of all, they had to get a yearling lamb, and they had to bring it into their house four days in advance. It was in their house from the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, and then on the evening of the 14th, as the 14th began, everybody that had those lambs, they would slay the lambs at the same time. They would take some of the blood of the lamb, they would put it on the doorposts of their houses and on the lentil, and... God said, you will be inside, you'll be eating the Passover, and then when judgment comes, the death of the firstborn, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You'll be passed from death to life. And that was the commandment that they were given. And they were told specifically, you will eat it with unleavened bread and you will eat it with bitter herbs. Then he said, after they're ready to do it, then he says, oh, by the way, I also want you to know, from here on out, every year, you're going to keep this as a memorial commandment. And you will, every year thereafter, you will do this as a memorial, remembering what took place. Obviously, a very significant event. I want to remind you of a couple of things here. All Israel didn't get saved at this. It was just the firstborn. So while it is the Feast of Redemption, it is targeting the firstborn of Israel. They're the ones who are getting the benefit. They're the ones being passed over. It's later in the story of the Exodus, when they cross the Red Sea and escape from Pharaoh and his chariots, that you will then see the salvation of all of Israel. But right now, we're talking about the redemption of the firstborn. And the reason why I emphasize that is because after the Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then we're going to have the Feast of the Firstborn, the Feast of first fruits. So there, there's a, a special element that is another holiday that springs out of this One of which, let me just tell you right now, most Jews, even observant Jews who keep the Passover and unleavened bread, don't know much about firstborn, first fruits. And most Christians don't know about first fruits either. It has kind of been diminished by everybody, nobody's really paying that much attention to it. Now, here's the funny part that first fruits thing is all about the resurrection. And Yeshua's resurrection, coincidentally, came on the Feast of First Fruits. It wasn't just a coincidence. That was God's plan. But even with that said, the Christian community will recognize the resurrection of Yeshua as the Messiah, as the Christ, but they still don't get it that we're observing the Feast of Firstfruits. They, they still don't get the connection to it. As a result, there's some tremendous things in their understanding that that are missing. One of the things I've always tried to share with people, how, how does religious error really occur? You know, how is it that so, people who have a heart and intent to want to obey the Lord, how is it all of a sudden they get off track? Well, it can pretty much be attributed to the following. They only picked out certain instructions that God gave, and they don't have all of his instructions. And so they focus in on a few instructions that they know, and they don't do all of them. And as a result of not doing all of them, they don't get the full instruction from God as to what's going on. And so they, along the way, they end up making things up because they can tell there's something not quite right yet. It isn't quite figured out yet and they'll add things to it, they'll take things away, and thus you have this incredible chaos and calamity when it comes to keeping simple instructions from God. Now, let me also back up and say the following to you. What happened historically is a picture for us, but God didn't ask us each year to do exactly what they did back historically. He said, no, I want you to set up a memorial. I want you to do certain things that will remember what happened historically. We are not commanded in keeping the Passover to go to get a lamb and bring it into our house on the 10th of Nisan. And we're not told that on the evening of the 14th, we're all supposed to go out and kill it. And we're supposed to put the blood on a doorpost of our house. That, that was the historical event of the 10th judgment upon Egypt. We don't, we're not participating in the 10th judgment of Egypt again. We are participating in the meaning of when God passed over us, passed us from death to life. And the work of redemption with the Messiah clearly is to come and take care of our sin problem. See, our sin problem, the scripture teaches us, the wages of sin is death. When we sin against God, we merit the death penalty. Now, how in the world are we going to escape that? Not by doing more good works, not by being more religious, so to speak, not by going to church, going to Sunday school, and Wednesday night service. That's not going to do it. Rather, it has to do with faith, and it has to do with what God did for us. And God presented himself as though he was that Passover lamb. That's the title he gets, the Lamb of God. The Lamb that's presented at the Passover was symbolizing the work of the Messiah, the redemption that he would do. When we, by faith, accept the work of the Messiah for us, that's how his blood is now seen by our Heavenly Father, and we're passed from death to life. That's the overarching thing for it. And when Yeshua came, and observe the passage with his disciples, we see that he was completing the memorial, the the commandment that Moses gave us to have a memorial. He did the memorial, and yet at the same time filled it up with even greater meaning for us as to what was going on with it. So here comes this lamb, and it comes in at the 10th month. It dwells in their houses. They don't put a pen out for it. it This lamb becomes a member of the family. Oh, by the way, let me just tell you, lambs, yearling lambs, they're fun. They bounce around, you know, and they're cute, okay? Even cuter than a Pomeranian. And I have a Pomeranian in my house, and I'm telling you right now, they're pretty cute. Anyways, this lamb bounces around. Guess what? The kids play with it. Everybody befriends it. They probably give it a name, you know, cutesy something. You know, and it, it becomes suddenly part of the family within a matter of just four days. and then all of a sudden they have to face the reality. God said, "Now I want you to take it on the eve of the 14th, everybody in Israel is going to slay their lambs at the same time. Can you imagine the dynamic that was in the family with the children saying crying and saying, "Why does the lamb have to die?" Can you imagine the tender-heartedness that's with in your own heart of that having to take place. The uh, Many years ago, I've shared this story before. Many years ago, I had some friends that were shepherds. They had goats. They were in southern Oklahoma. We had a guest that was from Israel that was coming over, and we got invited because the, the guests from Israel, that they were going to cook a lamb. They were going to take one of their, their goats, and they were a kid, and they were going to skin it, roast it, and we were going to have roasted goats just like a Passover lamb, so to speak, for a nice meal. And we were inviting this Israeli to come down to it. We were told, be there by 1 o'clock. We'll have lunch. You know, we'll eat roasted goat. We were all looking forward to it. So I got our guest that was from Israel. We drove down there to the place, and we got down there, and they said, well, actually, dinner's going to be about 4 uh, o'clock. It's not going to be at 1. I said, oh, really? And I said, there's the goat. It's on the fire. It's, it's cooking. And I said, oh, it, it takes a little longer to cook. And he said, well, we didn't get it on the— we didn't get it on the fire as early as we thought. And then they proceeded to tell me why they didn't get it on the fire as quickly as they thought. See, they went out there at 8 o'clock in the morning with the knife, and they were ready to kill this kid, you know, these two guys. were going to slaughter it, skin it, and get it, on the, get it on the grill. And they got ready to get down, and they just didn't have the heart to do it. This little kid goat, you know, is looking at him, you know, paying attention to him. And and all of a sudden it it hit him. This goat is innocent, doesn't deserve to die. But for us, we're we're going to eat the flesh of this goat. And so he's going to lose his life. And apparently one of them finally got up enough strength to start the cut, to cut its throat. And apparently he made an, an initial incision, but not, not the killing incision. He, he, he didn't quite do it as strong as he's supposed to do it. And so it, some blood splattered onto him and his hands. And then the goat went over and licked the blood off of his hands that he'd gotten on him. And at that point, that's when both guys lost it. They collapsed in weeping. And apparently before they could get there, stamina back and their strength back, it took them about three hours in that process to be able to get the goat killed and get its skinned and get it up on the spit. So that was the reason why dinner was delayed from one o'clock in the afternoon to four o'clock because it had to be on the grill a certain amount of time for it. The, the dynamic of, of the first time of taking that animal and slaying it on the eve of the 14th, I'm certain, was an emotional moment. For all of Israel. On top of that, they all did it together. They all did it at the same time. So let's talk about this Eve of the 14th thing at twilight, because the Bible uses this designation, the word we translate, twilight, all about Passover. And the first thing I need to review with you is how Hebrews count time. When does a day begin? it begins at sundown of the day previous. It's when the evening comes, the sunset, is the beginning of the next Hebrew day. So if it's at the eve of the 14th, the daytime that led to that evening was actually the 13th. And so on the 13th, they would prepare for the passover on the 14th and at sundown twilight they would slay the, lam- the lambs but let me back that up a little bit that that that's the normal hebrew but the, that's the normal hebrew day when it begins but the term twilight ties back into another understanding about the altar service which is has to do with the evening sacrifice The evening sacrifice in the tabernacle in the temple, guess what time it actually went up on the altar? About three o'clock in the afternoon. It's still the daytime of the day before, but they call it twilight. They call it the presentation of the evening sacrifice. It, It integrates the preparation work into the event. So. When Yeshua told Peter and John to go and prepare the Passover, you know, that they were going to eat at the Passover, he was actually instructing them, go, get, go purchase the lamb, go to the temple on the afternoon of the 13th, when all of Israel, come, and by the way, they used to do this, they would come on the afternoon of the 13th, and that's when all the lambs would be slain, the Passover lambs. And then they would gather the lamb back up after the blood had been drained, poured out the base of the altar, they would then take the lamb, skin and all, and they would take it to their home or wherever. And then the preparation was simply to skin the lamb. The head was remained, the legs remained. It wasn't it wasn't field dressed. It wasn't opened up. And in it's central. It was then mounted so that it could be starting to be cooked with fire. So when they ate the lamb, they would literally take a knife, and they would cut off. Uh, portions of the tissue, the flesh of the lamb, off of its leg, off of its main body, and they would make a meal off of it. And in the meantime, the whole lamb is still there. And part of the instruction was it was that no damage was to be done to the lamb other than piercing it and cutting it, and carving off some of the flesh. Not a bone was to be broken. It wasn't to be butchered, opened up. The legs weren't supposed to be separated. Its entrails were not to be removed. Its head was not to be taken off. It was to remain intact. And then after they had eaten of it for the Passover, whatever remained then was to be put on a fire and completely burned and consumed by fire. So this lamb, only the outer extremities Of it would be served in the meal part. And that was done by removing the skin and the hide, putting it on the fire, cooking it as whole. And no bone was to be broken. No butchering was to be done to the lamb. And that's the reason why you had a whole lamb and you would have a bunch of people who would come. And, you know, because basically a leg of lamb will feed a lot of people. You know, when I do Passover and I cook a couple of legs of lamb, I can feed 30 people. But if you have the whole thing and you're carving off from the sides and the legs and and so forth, the muscle tissue to eat, that would be a far less audience because you're not butchering the whole lamb. You're not eating the whole lamb at all. You're just eating the the outer fleshy parts, you know, of it uh, that has been cooked by the fire that it's on. A lot of people don't know that in particular, that that's how it was actually eaten. To that extent that the Jewish community has frowned on the idea at the Passover of actually eating lamb. The Jewish community, for the most part, uh, since the Second Temple period, they eat either some sort of fowl, which could be chicken or turkey and or brisket. They'll eat some kind of beef. Now, it has to be cooked by fire. It can't be boiled, and it, can't, and it has to be roasted by fire. So they would pre- prepare a dish for the Passover like that. Me, myself, I, I do eat lamb at Passover. I love lamb, and we kebab it up, and we put it on the grill, and so we get to eat roasted lamb by fire. It's not the same because I don't have to do historically what they did. I'm just doing the memorial part. I'm remembering the lamb. I'm remembering the things that took place there. That night, after they had prepped the lamb, of course, they took some of the blood when they killed the lamb, and they put it on their doorposts on the lentil. They roasted it that night, and then they were told to eat it with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Now, I'm sure they probably had some vegetable material as well, you know, some sort of green vegetables that went along with it. But the bread and the bitter herbs was the most significant thing because they also, like the lamb, symbolize very, very special things. At the time, the unleavened bread represented that it was called the bread of haste, that this is the start of Exodus, and so when they leave from Egypt, they're leaving in haste. Let's get out of here. And they didn't, as the Scripture says, they ate unleavened bread because they didn't have time to make the dough and let it sit and rise. They you know, they couldn't leave it and lay still. They, they were in a moving thing, so they made it that they could take with them. By the way, if you make unleavened bread, it'll last several days for you. And so they made the unleavened bread so they could take with them. They would have bread to eat while they were on their journey. And God says, I want you to eat it with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. One of the things that we learn in observing the Passover is that the bitter herbs symbolizes the bitterness of slavery. And in the case of Yeshua, the bitter herbs represented also the bitterness of betrayal. It was at the time of the eating the bitter herbs that Judas dipped into the same bowl with Yeshua, and he had told the other disciples, he who sops with me is the one. And so as soon as they dipped of the bitter herbs, Yeshua looked at him and said, whatsoever you're going to do, do it quickly. And that's when Judas left the Seder that was with Yeshua and the disciples. Very powerful symbols in the memorial of the Passover. And they have not only a historical picture, they look back, but they also have a prophetic picture looking forward the the other elements that we now sprinkle into the memorial and we believe that these were also done with yeshua is that we have some ceremonial washings because there's something very significant about this meal that is separate from other meals and one of the first things you do is you have a ceremonial washing is and yeshua washed the feet of his disciples if you remember There was an interesting conversation between Peter where he said, no, no, I'm not going to have you wash my feet. You know, Peter believed he was the Son of God. He believed he was the Messiah, and there was no way in his mind that he could justify his Messiah King washing his feet. It just seemed wrong. But Yeshua insisted and said, if you don't let me clean you, you'll have no part of me. And Peter, of course, responded to that by saying, well, if 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 I want to be have part of you, well, wash all of me. You know, not just wash my feet. I want to be all of you. And Yeshua said, no, the feet washing is sufficient. And so in a memorial of the Passover, one of the first things that we have is the washing with water. And we have a washing routine that we do in the water. Some messianics actually go to the level of actually bringing their guests in and setting up bowls and so forth and they actually wash feet in fact in some of the passovers I've done I've done that it's a very humbling experience in fact I've had that same conversation I've invited people over to my home for Passover and I explained I've got the washing bowls out and the towels and people were saying no no I I I, I don't want you to do it monty <laughs> it's the same thing they they see me as an esteemed figure they don't want to they don't want to be Me being humbled in that way before them. I'm trying to explain that this is what the Messiah did for us. He humbled himself purposely so that he could do the work of being our Savior. And he had to. He had to get down at our level if he was going to be a proper Redeemer and Savior for us. Very powerful symbology in the memorial that ties back into it. Let me go a little bit further. It is very clear that Yeshua assembled with his brethren on the 14th, the eve of the 14th, to eat the Passover with his disciples. Peter and John had gone to the the temple that day, and they had slain the lamb. They had slain the lamb in the temple, and they brought it back, and they had prepared it, put it on, and they assembled the other elements. And so when they came in, they had a seat. There And it is said that they assembled in a place called the upper room. Now, we read that in the New Testament. Most people go, okay, it was a, it was a room. It was an upper room. Oh, it must have been elevated up. And they're absolutely right. It was an elevated room. It was in the high part of the city of Jerusalem. The reason why it was called the upper room because this is a room that was built over the top of King David's tomb. The Messiah ate the Passover with his disciples sitting over the tomb of King David. That is no small thing that took place. This is the son of David, the Messiah king, on the foundation of the throne of King David, and he's eating the Passover with his disciples and, doing the, and initiating the New Testament, the New Covenant. The, the significance here is just unbelievable. If I would like to remind everybody that God made a covenant with King David. We call it the Messianic Covenant. That it would be from David that one of his sons would be Messiah King, and that when he became king, the throne of David would be forever. And so he's sitting over the tomb of King David. Here's the Messiah King, who will be king of Israel forever, and he's establishing his kingdom over the top of King David. You know what? All the New Testament says is they were in the upper room. Oh my goodness. There's a lot more to this, a whole lot more. You know, if you go back and learn about the life of King David and and what God did with him, this is tremendous that this location was the actual place he kept the Passover at. There's much more that we're going to learn in the course of observing the Passover. Oh, by the way, did I mention that when Yeshua made his entry into Jerusalem, you know, when he rode the colt, into Jerusalem, it was the 10th of Nisan. It was the day that the lamb is supposed to come into the house. It's the time that when they brought the lamb in their house, they were supposed to examine it daily to see if there was any blemish, to see if there was any sickness. They had to make sure, they had to observe it for several days to make sure the lamb was well, healthy, and so forth. Did you know some of the best evidence that we have in the New Testament of Yeshua being examined by the Pharisees, by the Gentiles, by the Sadducees, by the scribes, is all in those days from the 10th until the Passover. And one of the things that we have in the New Testament is they're coming and questioning him and examining him, and no one could find fault with him in those days. We can clearly say that when Yeshua presented himself as the Lamb of God, following the pattern of what Moses had instructed, that he did enter the house on the 10th, he was examined daily. There was no spot or blemish within him. And by the way, when we use the words that the Messiah was sinless, what we're really specifically saying is he was appropriate to be the Lamb of God. That's really what that means, that he had no spot, no blemish. He was an appropriate sacrifice for the Passover. And so all of that was accomplished. So when he dispatched Peter and John to go and prepare the Passover on the evening of the 13th, on that evening, then of the the eve of the 14th, Yeshua met with his disciples in the upper room. They ate the Passover. Now, that night was called a watch night. Because Passover is the only feast that is observed at night. It's not observed in the daytime. I mean, there are things you do in the daytime, but the actual commandment is to eat it at night. And as the Lord said, the angel of death came through about midnight. They were eating the Passover at midnight. And a lot of people don't know this, but really observant Jews, they stay up all night for Passover. And one of, the, one of the ancient rabbis said, the greatest joy of Passover is to see the dawn of the day coming and still be discussing God's redemption, still be talking about understanding God's redemption for us all. And as you all recall, Yeshua took the disciples after they'd eaten the Passover, went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're all falling asleep. And he's like demanding why can't you stay awake with me and just pray with me for a while? it it was expected on that night that they would stay awake. I guarantee you the temple council and the high priest they were staying awake because they were coming after him. And they wanted to try him that night and kill him the next day before their Passover. Because their Passover was then on the 15th the next night. This is one of the great controversies between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the religious men who were distributed throughout all of the land. They built synagogues. The Sadducees strictly stayed with the temple service. They thought that was the only proper way to worship God in the temple in Jerusalem. But the Sadducees did keep the Passover on the 14th, whereas the Pharisees had gotten into the business of doing it on the 15th, combining it with the Feast of Unloved Bread. Modern-day Judaism followed after the Pharisaic module, not after the Sadducees. And so today, even today, as was then, if you get a Hebrew calendar, a diaspora calendar, and you look and say, well, when is Passover? You know what date will be on? The 15th of Nisan, not on the 14th. Now, if you're around some messianics like me, I'm going to tell you the commandment is to eat it on the 14th. So that's the reason why messianics, you'll see they're keeping their Passover this night and then the Jews and a lot of others are keeping it on the other night. It is beyond me, and and I'll be honest with you, it is beyond me that some of my messianic brethren who believe in the Messiah, who understand some of these things, still decide to eat the Passover with the Pharisaic Jews. Mind you, this is after the Messiah has specifically said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven. Beware of the leaven. Remember, we're supposed to be eating unleavened bread. We're not supposed to be doing, we're not supposed to be having any leaven, anything added to it, anything puffed up to it. But that's what we have. And that's part of the controversy that still remains, even to this day. So in this First program, I've covered some of the things about the Passover. In the next program, I want to tell you some even more things about the Passover. And then we'll be migrating into the Feast of Unleavened Bread and what those things are about and ultimately the Feast of First Fruits. So welcome to our program. I look forward to seeing you each Sabbath morning as we prepare for the spring holidays that are coming this year. Shabbat shalom.